0: Right, so hello, Brendan.
1: Oh, Benji, how are we doing today?
0: Pretty good, pretty good. Though Switzerland mm. is uh, pretty much champion of Europe in COVID cases right now this week.
1: <laughs> and, and hello to all of our, our esteemed listeners. I'm sure there's plenty of them out there by now. Um, so Switzerland is doing well right now. Is that is it that Switzerland's doing really well or you're just doing less bad than ever? No, no, <laughs> no.
0: we are champion of Europe and the, in the number of cases, we have more than anybody.
1: Oh, you have more than anybody. Yeah. Okay, <laughs> nice to put that crown on. <laughs> What are the numbers looking like over there, like per capita or whatever?
0: Uh, we have 1,500 per 100,000 uh,
1: citizens. Wow. wow, we're doing better than you. That's surprising. Yeah,
0: no, yeah, yeah, we are pretty much the worst in the world right now, except Czech, yeah. Rep- Czech Republic, which is a big country. uh, Andorra, that it is like I don't know, fifty thousand people, so it doesn't tiny
1: tiny country. Yeah, Yeah.
0: exactly. And I remember, I think a fourth really small one. No, we I don't know, we managed to have a really strong uh, start in October.
1: Yeah, it's not common for anywhere in the states to you know do better than anywhere in Europe in terms of like public health or public policy. So yeah, USA number one. (laughs) So yeah, yeah, um... makes it interesting. I don't know if I, if I shared this last time we talked, but um, the, I don't think I did. Uh, and I talked with Jay about it yesterday, but the COVID cases have picked up here in Colorado. I think we're at like 300 and it was like 375 uh, new cases per 100,000 or something like that. So they just jacked the restrictions up. And so basically I had to shut down my volleyball meetup because the new restrictions are like less than 10 people at an outdoor gathering and we're getting like you know, 50, 60 people showing up on Saturdays. I'm like, huh oh. people, you know, I posted about that and people are like, no, it's fine. You know, don't screw it. Like, we'll just put the nuts far apart. I'm like, no, like, I'm not going to be responsible for whatever this potentially makes happen, and also I don't want to get fined like hundreds or you know thousands of dollars for this thing because I know all you cheap bastards aren't going to chip in when that time comes. So
0: yeah, definitely. It's still pretty restrictive, though. That five-person gathering for that many cases—we just Less than than ten because we just since Wednesday here it's maximum five uh, on a public gathering and ten at home. So, you could actually invite another family to have dinner or something like that. Yeah. But it depends on their content. So, basically, the um, Norwegian, but department for you. Some are even more strict. So, my native content, it's five at home as well.
1: Mm. Yeah. Yeah. They did that. I think the same rules basically apply for indoor gatherings as well. I think it's less than 10 people. But bars and restaurants restrictions is now they can operate at max 25% capacity, which is, it used to be at 50% before they upped the restriction level. Um, But I went out to a bar on, was that Wednesday? And uh, they were not following that at all. I mean, the bar was, pretty much every table was full, every pool table was being played at, most of the bar stools were full. I'm like, people are just kind of going to do what they're going to do. And yeah.
0: For us, they just... Shut down all the clubs and like a night nightclubs, everything. Which I have not any understanding why they did not do it before.
1: I mean, I think they should have done that even if COVID wasn't a thing.
0: <laughs> Pretty true. Pretty I mean, that true. is just
1: there's a place where diseases of other sorts spread. So yes, yes. Um, yeah, yeah. That definitely seems like that would be the first step. Uh, I mean, bars and nightclubs, it's just like people start drinking, common sense goes out the window, masks stop being worn. Mm. And it's just a recipe Mm. for disaster.
0: Yeah, I think they just did not do it before. I mean, first, because they would need to pay and to give money to all the clubs and bartenders that didn't want to spend this money, the government and also yeah. because as uh, the uh, one that is going to go out is going to find another way to do something and it might be something that is completely untrackable so at least yeah. they had that but yeah i don't know
1: yeah why well, do you think it's getting so much worse in switzerland what uh i mean obviously you know winter's coming on so people are spending more time indoors but besides that
0: i mean all over europe it uh i mean the second wave is clearly there there's no question about it but first time I think Switzerland was pretty strict, and now I think people are just moving around and going from one city to the next. Way to I don't know, they just don't care that much. Mm-hmm. Especially, especially my generation and a bit younger, they just yeah just live almost like normal. Yeah. And now it just yeah. bounces back in right in our
1: face, basically. Yeah, the one, uh, the article that I read that uh, described all the lockdowns uh, for the elevated uh, COVID restrictions that basically said, you know, we can't do this anymore as far as volleyball goes. I was reading the one public health official statement and they said that what they really think is causing it to spread around is people in their 20s and 30s who are asymptomatic carriers and they're just spreading it around to other people who are being affected more strongly. I'm like, damn it. That's basically what we're doing. I mean, we're you know we play outside like in the park in the sun and from the reading that I've done that seems to really mitigate the risk to an almost negligible amount but even so it's like it's still a fairly new thing we still don't really know a ton about it so I didn't feel like it would be very responsible of me to to let that keep going but it does suck, you know. I, I just moved to this city for like four months ago, and I'm like, "Yeah, ready to settle into life and all this stuff." It's like, "Up, oh, get ready for the winter," where I just kind of stay at home and do nothing all day. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I'm not a- do nothing. I'm obviously going to work and stuff.
0: But. Yeah, at least you get a flatmate you you get along well with, so that is a good start.
1: Yeah, I'm gonna ask about Benji's domestic life.
0: <laughs> <laughs> all right. Um, yeah. So, what's on your mind lately?
1: Uh, a bunch of stuff. I mean, you know, we—I had—I had just been sort of formulating the initial ideas of this last time, last week when we did the podcast. Now I've been transitioning over to uh, focusing more towards getting contract work as a programmer instead of nine fives because, um, you know, there's this great uh, movie. I don't know if you've ever seen it uh, called Lucky Number Eleven. Nope. But in the movie, there's this uh, concept that Bruce Willis's character talks about. They call it the Kansas City Shuffle. And the Kansas City Shuffle is when everybody else is looking right, that's when you go left. And the way I look at that in the current situation is, look, with COVID, lockdown, work from home, I mean, a lot of people were transition, Like Denver is a very high competition place for junior developer jobs as it is because there's a lot of boot camps here churning out graduates. But with COVID lockdown, even more people have been deciding to transition into this because they're like, I need something that pays better. You know, I can still make money regardless just to, of what happens, all of yeah. that.
0: We just need to think so, about the way uh, our friend Jesper frames the problem. Basically say, yeah, address COVID. I want to have a secure, some security mm-hmm. right now.
1: Exactly. Yeah, yeah. So even in our group, people were making those types of decisions. And so, you know, Kansas City Shuffle analogy, everybody's looking right. Okay, I got, you know, basic programmer skills. I need to get that junior developer job. Whereas there's this whole world of contract work over here. And not that nobody else is looking at that, but far, far fewer people are. And I think that more people are inclined to look at it if they've had or lived sort of a digital nomad lifestyle like we're familiar with. That just seems like a more common viable pathway because we've met more people who do it. Um, so looking at that pathway now, it seems more and more appealing the longer I look at it because it just, it allows me to have more agency and autonomy in how I spend my time and what projects I work on, and it'll get boring, you know, it won't get boring in the same way that a nine to five might because I get to keep working on new different projects and learning new skill sets as I pick them up. So that's something that's been on my mind a lot lately. Like, yes. A nine-to-five would be, um, it would be nice to have that stability. And again, as I told you, I do have one nine-to-five in the pipe that's for a startup that could be very fun. But, you know, what, like every everything in life comes at a cost. There's always trade-offs. And, you know, the trade-off of stability and security and income is a bit less freedom and agency in how you spend your time. You know, you and Jay are both getting jobs where, You can work Monday through Thursday, but you have Friday off to work on your own things. I think that's a nice balance between the two. And I think that that is, at least in the US work culture, a far less common occurrence. And I think that if people do want to pursue their own way, they need to find arrangements like that that give them back more of their time and their freedom to do what they want because, you know, as like time is the most you know time is the most valuable resource we have. It's the only non-renewable resource. You can always make more money. You can never make more time. You can only you can only free up your existing time essentially. So that's that's something that's been on my mind a lot lately.
0: Yeah, and to be honest, um, freelancing, even if just for a few months, that just also might be the best point of entry into a job because mm-hmm. you will meet people. You will get directly like a, okay okay, I have a good project. Maybe you can hire me or maybe you can hire me 50%. You trust me already because I delivered. So it's an easier ask or conversation to have that uh, just trying to fight against everybody for a job.
1: Exactly, yeah. And my, you know in my that.
0: case, I, got, I mean, it's not the same field, but the reason I got my job and I got really lucky is because the, the freelancing, no question. Just because of that, I was, mm-hmm. everybody was coming from yeah, communication uh, background, marketing background. That's university where basically you don't learn shit. Okay, now I'm you. I'm probably I probably don't know really basic stuff, but I'm yeah. pra- I'm practical because I come from this free- freelancing work where you just need to mm-hmm. do do the, do the work.
1: Yeah, I mean the thing is, freelance and contract work is very much a um, like it's, it's, you're rewarded for results. Results are the only thing that matter. There's none of this fluff. There's, oh, I've got a, I've got a degree from a good university or I worked for this big tech company in Silicon Valley. It's like, I don't, doesn't, don't give a shit. Like, did you deliver the results that your clients wanted? Did you move the needle? And you know, what, what's the big thing? I'm either increase profits or decrease costs. Like those are the only two things that really matter in business. And um, did you make a pr-
0: and you make a promise and did you deliver it's really black or white. It's yep, not like it you means. don't hire for potential in three years.
1: Exactly. yeah. and in a lot of ways, that is really the only thing like if you can prove that when you're going for a job, if you delivered on past promises and gotten the results the client wanted, um, and you've done it multiple times across multiple different, you know, areas or specifically the area that the job you're pursuing in question is built around. I mean, you immediately become a much, much more viable candidate than anybody else who's going for the position. So yeah, it's, it's interesting because, you know, as I said, I think on the call with Jay yesterday, there was this one person. So in, in Denver, they do these uh, monthly, Uh, developer happy hour meetups. And now because of COVID, they just do them all via Zoom and they like, there's this function in Zoom where you can shuffle people out into random groups of like however many you want, like three or four or five. Um, Yeah. So they got this big Zoom call of like 50 people and they just shuffle you out with like four other random people. And then after 10 minutes, they bring everybody back in and then shuffle them out again. It's really cool. I didn't know that you could even do that. But um, yeah, so with, um, at one of those meetups, I talked to this one guy who had done some similar things. He worked as an ESL teacher and did all this stuff and had graduated a bootcamp in the spring and he has since got a job. And he posted on the Denver Dev Slack about, you know, how he got the job and all the things that he did that he recommended doing. And one of the big ones that he said was, any type of freelance work you have moves the needle in a big way because you go from, Oh, I built this little portfolio piece that sits on a shelf and collects dust and nobody ever does anything with versus I've worked on a production piece of code that real world people are using. And we've had to, you know, because then you have to respond to user interaction and deal with like breaking changes that come up that you didn't think about before. It's just a whole different world of like, You know, it's like the the difference between, say, somebody who um, is like an academic who studies uh, like finance and investing and somebody who's a financial like day trader who works in this stuff every day. It's like one person might know a lot more theoretical knowledge, but you learn so much more in practical application of the knowledge by doing the thing every day. Um, Mm, And that's that seems like the big the big divide there.
0: Yeah, and I also say you have no way but to be a problem solver, have some kind of social skills and understand mm-hmm. business as a freelancer. So it's really yeah. valuable. You might not be the guy that, okay, I'm fix. I don't know. I'm just a big, big, big picture kind of guy because I understand everything about this business case, but I can fix mm-hmm. and do the dirty work that other people don't want to do. Yeah. And it's, I don't know, I think really, really useful skill set regardless if you want to find a job later or Mm
1: not. Yeah. And so that's another thing that I've been thinking about. Even if I do get this job at the startup, I might still try to pick up some contract gigs on the side. Just, you know, I mean, it's always nice to get a little bit more money flowing in, but also just to get more diverse experience because in that position, I think I'd mostly be working with React. Um, and then like a little bit with uh, some JavaScript with Node.js and like some GraphQL and a few other things. But um, if I wanted to learn more of the backend stuff or even just learn more things that interest me, then I would need to to go down that path. And it would be good to sort of, even if very slowly, just sort of build up my my Upwork as a, a channel through which I can have clients flowing in. Like if the nine to five ever fell apart, I could always just flip Upwork on and get that feeding clients back in, and just have that ready in case everything else goes to hell. Um, so that would be very useful, uh, useful to have. But then, you know, we've also talked about building projects for for HubSpot and things like that. So that's another potential pathway through which I could uh, uh, spend my my little bit of free time uh, building things instead of just doing contract work. So. It's interesting. There's a lot of, a lot of different potential pathways still trying to figure out which one's the right one. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. What about you? What's, what's been on your mind? Cause I know you, um, you know, you had to get settled into this new place and then the, the job, I mean, the job is pretty Study, but you do now have this this one day a week to work on other things. What are you What are you focusing on? Um,
0: these days? The big thing. I mean, the job is pretty steady, but I still kind of create my job because I started again just forty percent working mostly on the CRM and email marketing side, and mm-hmm. I'm and I'm basically took over everything digital marketing, mm-hmm. especially content, a bit of ads, and now we build. We basically started interviewing all of our clients to create let's call them case study, but it's not really about them and what they did, what what is the before after working with us. It's more what they created themselves. So basically they create investment opportunities. That's what they do. That's what basically we help them to do. Yeah. And I and we interview all of them and it's really, really interesting because we it's such a new space for me. And I'm talking to people like a passionate people that are uh, in a really specific space, like someone is a film producer selling video services to streamers like Netflix. That is like, OK, he's, uh, he's into video, but he created an investment vehicle to actually for qualified investors can invest directly in his project, like you would invest in a, in a startup, basically. And if, this, if the project got sold to Netflix, then you make a return on investment. And I'm interviewing right. all these people that have really, really different kind of uh, use case of what we provide at my company. It's really cool. Like there's this guy in the video production. There's someone doing mining of copper, uh, gold, silver, and basically he provide an investment in that, but not directly to get the metal because that's pretty common. Mm-hmm. You can buy gold; it's really easy. Yeah. yeah. But more okay, how maybe maybe or the second degree, what is directly linked to that? Maybe the company that provides and on the truck or maybe the company that is a spec- specialist in low rega- re- in fee field or something. I know. Everything mm. a really different kind of space and it was really, really interesting because we got this interview last week. Mm-hmm. And now it's pretty funny because now what I'm doing is that I'm uh, transcribing and creating a lot of content around that, like... A, case study, PDF, video for YouTube, podcasts, audiograms, social media, posts, everything, everything from one interview. And it's something that people, the traditional, uh, that come from like the PR world, they don't understand that you can you can create something one time, you interview, you extract and you just re- repurpose in all different channels one time mm-hmm. and it's done and you have basically a nevergreen piece of content. So it's... Yeah. First, the interview is really interesting and the way now I'm uh, leveraging these interviews I'm pretty much enjoy it so that's one part it was one of the big big thing and then I have two things I mean I have the I have to think about the business case to do the spin-off at my company that my boss proposed me mm-hmm. you remember so I need I have a meeting with him in uh, not the week not next week the week after so um, it's pretty interesting but I just have to think about it because uh, a lot of way to go about it and I cannot I think probably talk too much about t- too much about this subject. Yeah, yeah I don't yeah. I don't even I mean, know but I I guess I can't, so
1: <laughs> I I would probably advise, you know, treading with caution there and not talking too much about the specifics, yes. but you know, the general idea is that it's just spinning off uh, a small section into its own entire product line that you would be the leader exactly. of. You would ba- to, to basic, up,
0: basically would cool. now the marketing team for the company uh, a lot of our clients have been asking my uh, my boss my CMO if we could provide as well help with marketing pr etc to our client base because they think mm-hmm. that we do really well and now we've been my boss has been considering a spinning off the company where we would visit, the main company would outsource marketing to us it wouldn't change much except that we would be a different kind of company and we'd also provide the services to our client base
1: yeah, so you've already got a lot on your plate let alone any potential side projects to pick up
0: yeah but um, it's pretty cool it's i think it's interesting We'll see where it goes. I will probably have more news about it soon. And the last thing is, I've been also interested about maybe uh, buying equity at my company. That have also, I, I don't think I can disclose too much, but I've been thinking how I would finance that. And I just had a crazy idea. I have no clue if I would do it, but if I were to get a loan to do that, for example, like I don't know, I just get a personal credit, and that you need to pay an annuity every single month, like the payback. Mm-hmm. What if I could create a side project that pays back that, like that's that's the constraint, basically how to, Mm -hmm. okay. I don't know, maybe it's a thousand bucks a month, the payback. I have no clue because I didn't do the, the, I didn't ask bank or something for that. But what if I could, okay. Maybe it's a thousand bucks a month between the interest plus uh, the payback. What if I could create a project That is not a it's not a crazy startup. It's just a project that pays exact. I mean, exactly that. And uh, it gave me some ideas, just as the like the creative constraint gave me some idea because it's so I don't know again so constrained.
1: Yeah, it's maybe I could yeah yeah.
0: exactly maybe I could create. Okay, I think a thousand bucks a month. Actually, when you think about it, maybe I could create a lead gen for this specific industry, and I think it could go strong if I'm right with my thesis for a while. It's not sexy. It's mm-hmm. not really interesting, but it could work. And uh, it just gave me some ideas. And I think I'm going to test one this weekend. Mm-hmm. I plan to spend uh, I don't know 150 bucks, 200 bucks on uh, on ads and see if there's a potential in one of the markets I'm uh, thinking about.
1: Yeah, that could be interesting. So would this be lead gen work of the nature you did before, where you're working directly with clients and helping them generate leads? Or... Yes,
0: but it would it wouldn't be. A, Last one was in the gym industry. Uh-huh. Gym industry sucks because it's <laughs> such a competitive market. It was not a good, I- nothing's not, not a good idea. It would be higher ticket and just yeah. see like uh, the constraint would be okay. What do I know? I mean, it would be around probably the personal finance space in Switzerland because I know a bit about the market. Mm-hmm. I know about Facebook and Instagram ads. Maybe I would even go all the way to Snapchat ads because I think it's direct response marketing doesn't change that much and see if I can generate leads for a specific service and just sell these leads across uh, French being part of Switzerland. It's just a thesis. I will try the this weekend. I just got around to just spend a few hundred bucks on ads to try it.
1: Hmm. One, one thing I would say there is, do you think that um, the types of people who use Snapchat are the types of people who are going to be interested in financial services products?
0: I'm not sure about Snapchat, but um, the Instagram might be. <laughs>
1: Facebook and Instagram for sure. Yeah, I think the thing is, I don't know. I there. mean,
0: uh, it's actually something that the third, it's like um, health insurance in the low institution is that we have like, um, that if we we can deduct some part of our salary if we have insurance uh-huh. and knowing actually the matter. I think it's usually a good decision to do it.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And I'm um, just thinking to create like a, a really good blog article about that, about what, why way anyway, when it makes sense, mm-hmm. advertise it on these channels. And then uh, just okay. If you want to know more, just click here to maybe do a checklist to see if it fine. And then an upsell to okay, just get on the, get on the phone with a specialist to have a free 30-minute conversation. It's I mean it's pretty basic. I don't know if it's gonna work. But would I that think-
1: be would that be a conversion in your in your mind? Like, um, would you get paid for each person you drive to that 30-minute conversation, or is it each person who ends up paying for the services beyond that? <laughs>
0: Again, what's the incentives? I'm not sure. I think you can make more money if yeah. you if it's when someone is sold.
1: Mm-hmm. I'd say probably. Yeah. But
0: but then it's more risky because maybe they suck at selling. And then I don't I don't know. I need to check. I need to talk with a handful of financial advisor that I know because I would actually send them to the what I know. So I trust mm-hmm. them. And let's see. The cool thing is I know what they can earn on the back end. I know what if I were bringing them clients today, what they would pay me. So it's a client that they know they're going to sign. It's not a lead, it's a client. Yeah, yeah. And I know what they would pay me because they, when it's ready, it's pretty good. Yes, yeah, it's, it's, it's worth it. Mm-hmm. So I think I know what I can negotiate and my thesis has been that it's actually doable online for one year. I never did anything about it because I was always looking at a really, really big project and I froze, mm-hmm. but just thinking about, okay, this constraint, how if I just was just trying to make a thousand bucks a month to pay back this loan, hypothetical loan, yeah. it just seemed easier. For, and uh, I say, okay, now I have the money. I can spend a few hundred bucks on ads just to test.
1: Yeah. That's, that's actually a really interesting, um, framework for creating some kind of like side hustle because as you were describing that I was thinking okay that sort of lead generation it's you know it's somewhat passive but it is still a little bit active I mean running Facebook ads and you got to tweak and refine and do all this stuff but what if Mm -hmm. That was a a goal in and of itself. Like, let's say, hypothetically, you know, in the future, making enough money from the main business or even just from some passive business that was created. um, Okay, how do you say, like a a good example um, in the U.S., I don't know if this investment vehicle uh, exists in Europe in the same way, but there's a a Roth IRA, which is a very valuable investment vehicle, and you can invest, I believe it's like $5,500 a year or it might be a month I could be way off base on that but i it's, think it's, it's a, a
0: year, f- year and i think it's, exactly what, I thought, what it's yeah. exactly what i'm talking about it's basically the same yeah. idea
1: Yeah, so if you break that out into monthly installments, that'd be like $500 a month. So you could think, okay, can I create a passive income stream that can fund that investment? So a passive income stream to fund a passive investment that simply continues on over time. And if you're looking at smaller scale ones, again, low competition, very niche industries, very niche markets, niche products, creating a $500 a month income stream isn't that crazy difficult. So I think that's a very interesting framework to look through these things. If you just say, okay, I need to get X amount of money to do this specific thing. What potential, you know, with all of the skills that I have, all the knowledge that I have, all the people that I know who have related skills, what can I or what could we build that could fund that very small, specific goal? I think that's a very interesting, different way of looking at it that I hadn't really thought of before.
0: Yeah, I mean, it came to me completely randomly when I just thought about, okay, I just looked at this uh, personal credit loan website and just, okay, well, what is, I'm probably not at the minimum. What is that? Okay, if I were to get, okay, that would be a thousand bucks a month for how many months? Okay, probably not going to do it because I think it's still too expensive. But Mm -hmm. how how would I pay that back without changing anything in my lifestyle? Maybe you could actually create something that does that. And it's not really defensible, it's probably not sellable because lead gen with ads is not a sellable business. There's no mode, there's nothing. There's nothing. There's
1: too much input from the person who runs it. If you you rank
0: really high with an article and it's first on Google for a specific keyword, that might be, but the ad one is not. But maybe, who cares?
1: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, once it's up and running and once you've figured out the formula, you basically own that until other people catch on and then start running the same types of ads and campaigns. And it seems like with Facebook, that is to some degree inevitable. Like, you know, if there is profit to be made there, people will jump in to take advantage of that. Um, So that's, that's inevitably going to happen at some point. But, you know, as we were saying on last week's episode, you are in a very unique position because everybody's got their eyes and their, their you know, their, their lasers are locked on English-speaking, you know, markets, and you're taking this different tack. You're taking this other approach to target, you know, French-speaking Switzerland, where there's much, much less competition. So it is possible that you could sort of plant your flag in this space, and not many people are going to come up to contest it, just because that's not, you know. Like people people see other people's success and they try to replicate it. They see the Instagram ads, I'll teach you how to be rich and I'm gonna to try to be rich in the same way as this person. But that's not necessarily the best path. And that's, that's the interesting thing about your situation is you're going a very different route than most people. Um,
0: Let's see what happens. Um, look, I mean, yeah. also just thinking about that, Besides uh, the eventual uh, cash flow it could bring, it's also it would also let me test this market because I had this idea of a bigger project and again I froze mm-hmm. because I never did anything. And if I had this, yeah. if I have this confirmation, that would actually help me maybe to do something and even partner. up. Today actually I built the landing page for the bigger project just because I have the domain name, mm-hmm. and I said, okay, I don't have any content right now. I'm just also gonna advertise it as a weekly newsletter, basically financial insights for millennials in French speaking Switzerland. Let's call it like that. Yeah, yeah. I looked at uh, do you know the website in the US Nerd Wallet?
1: Yeah, yeah, I've heard of that one. Yeah.
0: I think they're really good actually. And mm-hmm. basically the tagline is uh make all the right financial decisions. Basically, okay, you understand what is the growth error. Uh, you understand how what how mortgage, credit card, blah, 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 works.
1: Yeah.
0: I think there's some value in there. It's probably a bit different because it's a different country. But I relaxed and I just created a web uh, page and see if I could get maybe 150 subscribers really fast because if I get mm-hmm. that, I already have distribution for someone to write a first article.
1: Yeah, yeah. And I think that acts as a good proof of concept. And similarly this this lead gen thing that you're doing i think i think it's always good to test your assumptions as early as possible by seeing okay can i get people to subscribe to this thing or could i get customers to pay for this thing if you go into like a long-term building project for example like a lot of people do they're like i'm gonna you know i'm a digital nomad i like travel i'm gonna start a travel blog and it's like okay, how long before that is even remotely potentially monetizable? How long does it take before you can test that assumption? How long do you yourself wait to test that assumption? Because a lot of people just are afraid to because it's like, oh, that's, you know, yeah, I there's I run the risk of being wrong. And then I've wasted all this time and, and effort and, and all of that. So I think it is always better whenever you can test your assumptions as early on as possible with, you know, essentially asking people to take, make some kind of commitment, whether that's literally just signing up to an email list or doing a call, like a 30-minute free consultation call. These things are indicators that people are willing to carve out some of their time, which again, that's the most valuable resource we have, especially in this modern, you know, overwhelmed with information and people trying to grab your attention economy we've got. People making that decision to invest some of their time with you is a strong indicator that you're on to something, I think.
0: It should be, yeah. It should be. I mean, let's see. Let's see. I'm actually happy. I think this podcast just makes me, made me do something just to have something to talk about. Yeah, all right. <laughs> so I'm pretty happy, at least just with that, because then now, uh, I mean, I don't think we have, we have many listeners at first, but we never know. But at least you're just okay. I, I told the story, what's next? How did the lounge go, yeah. did anything yeah. happen? Even
1: if, even if only one person is listening. It's like, you know, there's one person listening. Yeah. like, hey, Banji, did you do that thing? Did you do that thing? Why did you yeah. do that thing? Banji, you said you're gonna do that thing.
0: Exactly. And also, this I think this podcast actually is a really good idea for one other thing. It means, okay, we all pretty much want to talk about us, about our project. And oh. if you start blogging about it, it takes a lot of time. And it's, frustrating. Yeah. and it's pretty frustrating because nobody reads it anyway. Uh-huh. But now it's one hour. There's not much work there. You did it. It's out. You can move on and start and uh, do real things again. Uh-huh. You don't try yeah. to grow a me, 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 me blog on the side because it's, some people make it and it's amazing, but most of the people don't make it and they're frustrated. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And when it comes to writing, I'm kind of a hyper perfectionist. So like, I'll write the thing out and I'll, you know, I'll like turn out a bunch and then I'll I'll like just just get honed in on this one paragraph and I'll just like write and rewrite and rewrite and add it. And it's just like with this, we just talk, we just talk and it goes out there and we probably say some dumb shit, but we're not going to bother to edit it because whatever. I do think it's a better way
0: to sort of... Yeah, there is some beauty to it. I really like it. Mm -hmm. By the way, just when I was talking also about that, my landing page, I basically copied exactly... It's not the same space, so it doesn't really matter, but I copied exactly the one. Do you know Morning Brew? Mm,
1: That is the SaaS uh, product that does... No?
0: No, it's a daily um, business and tech newsletter in the U.S. for uh, they targeted millennials, mostly. Mm-hmm. I'm surprised you don't know it, but yeah, it's funny. <laughs> Maybe I'm a bit too much in this space. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I don't know, it's been created I don't know, four or five years ago by, uh, I don't know, two, two dudes. And they, I mean, it's. I think it's really good for us. They write really, really well. It's... Mm-hmm funny it's a bit witty, and it's still straight to the point it's what i as a millionaire would like to read it's a bit targeting a bit too much the us because obviously there's a target market Mm -hmm. but it's really good and they just uh sold a majority stake of the company to business insiders apparently for 75 millions
1: oh oh my god one day, one day we'll be
0: playing with those kind and of And a lot, but I, I, yeah, I think they have 1.5 million subscribers. And I think that they are the one I told you last week about, the, not directly, but I told you one of my friends created a small SaaS, which is a referral for newsletter. Mm-hmm. Basically, they, them, and probably a few other ones created some kind of created that for internal use. Mm-hmm. And my friend, or oh, not really my friend, is but so the morning, my, morning
1: group created that for internal use. Yeah. Okay, that's why. Okay, that's why I got those
0: mixed And uh, up. Oh, my friend Maya, the guy I know in Zurich, basically with the co-founder created the same one, the same one as a SaaS. Mm-hmm. And then positioning is pretty simple. Yeah, you know how Morning Brew and the Hustle grew to X million subscribers through referrals. They built an mm-hmm. in-house referrals referral system. We built it as a SaaS. Just. Just try it and
1: you just said they it. partnered up with um Campaign Convert Convert. Get, yeah
0: yeah,
1: yeah. It's, so anyway. mean, it's that easy sometimes if you just find the right thing that nobody else has really built yet um it's it's funny though because you know as you say oh they just sold a majority stake for 75 million five million. I'm like oh my god 75 million but you know i remember listening uh to naval or one of naval's interviews where he talks about like his path to wealth, how it was really more like, um, it was kind of more gradual. It was like smaller chunks, you know, a big chunk from this investment than this investment than this business that I started then yeah. this one and this one and this one. And, you know, we kind of glorify the rags to riches, like immediate, like, Oh, big IPO. This person's not worth hundreds of millions of dollars. But I think that is the far less common path it's just the one that gets the most media mm-hmm. attention because it's big and flashy and be like big and flashy things yeah um, for sure i think that uh, a much more common path and a more realistic path for the vast majority of people might be like oh i started working at this tech startup and i got to invest a bunch of money into the uh, into equity in the company and then i started a SaaS business you know with my friends over here, and this made a bunch of money, and then I did this thing, and then this thing, and going, you know, up and up and up, bit by bit by bit. I think that that, you know, is a much more realistic route, especially for people who aren't like going to Silicon Valley and you know operating in those circles. Um, it takes like a very specific type of person in a very specific place, you know, surrounded by a specific community to get those giant gains that just shoot up overnight. Whereas anybody can go the indie hacker route and just build these smaller things and build their wealth bit by bit by bit, I think.
0: Yeah, I agree. And it's also in the part of the the title of his thread is without getting lucky. It's okay. It's it's not one shot. It's not five shots. It's 10 shots, 15 shots. Maybe one is going to be really big, but maybe Mm -hmm. five are going to be fairly big and it's, it's fine as well.
1: Yeah, well, that's why I like this thing that you're, you're doing with uh, the the lead generation for financial services thing, when you say like, okay, I'm going to take $150, $200 and I'm going to see what I can do with this. And so, because that's a very important way to frame it in your head, this $200, this is an investment in the knowledge of whether this will work. And I'm going to commit up front to saying, okay, I might lose all this and nothing will come of this. And that's okay, because you have to, be dispassionate as you go into it not too afraid to lose the money if you're upfront and say okay i'm going to commit to just spending this money to learn that is going to allow you to make much better decisions and have a much better learning outcome from it so it's very important to be able to make those kinds of decisions cuz a lot of people you know i mean my myself included in a very big way like If you have scarcity mindset around making those kinds of decisions, then you're never going to commit to something far enough to really get where you want to go. I think. I mean,
0: not only that, I just probably spent I don't know thirty hours talking about it, (laughs) hundred hours planning it, and never did shit. So that's the reason I told myself now this weekend. Just (laughs) I think I. I was paid 50 cents an hour so far just on uh, everything I did. So just, just throw it. And if it doesn't work, that's fine as well. But at least I would just go to the next thing mm-hmm. because yeah, exactly. I started talking a bit for way too long without doing anything about it because I was scared probably or at some point I didn't, I was not ready to spend 150 bucks on ads, which is ridiculous when you think about it. Mm-hmm. But yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's, that's what a lot of people in the the tech and entrepreneurship industry will say is that, you know, like hundred dollars startup, lean startup, all these different ways of talking about it. They'll say like, okay, just get something workable out there into the hands of users as soon as possible. Because again, you want to test if this is something that people will actually use and pay for as quickly as you can. So you don't waste a ton of time on something that nobody actually wants. And also that you want to Iterate very quickly. So, as they say, you want to take a lot of shots on goal because the first whole, like the first dozen or two that you take, are probably all going to fail. Um, so you want to try as fast as possible and iterate as quickly as possible because each time you take a shot and miss, the margin by which you miss gets smaller and smaller and smaller, and you get a little bit more accurate in the shots that you're taking. And that's the thing, like all says, how to get rich without getting lucky if you treat that that skill set, that ability, that ability to, to reason about what, you know, as he describes it, um, like money is the reward you get for building something and giving something to society that it wants, but doesn't know how to get yet. And so you sort of hone your ability to see, okay, what things, what things, what, what problems are people suffering from? And can I build something to solve that problem? And is it a, big enough problem or a valuable enough problem to solve that it's worth my time in terms of how much money people are willing to give me to solve it so that is a skill and you know so many of us again myself included is spend a lot of time just sort of operating in the background like planning building planning building without ever trying to put it in the hands of the users and until people use it it's it's not worth shit you have no idea if it's if it's going to become anything that people actually want. So I think that, yeah, the way you're going about it is is a good way to do it. And yeah. I think that um, that's a really important lesson to learn as early on, You know, if you want to be an entrepreneur, as early on in the process as possible. The faster yeah. you learn that lesson, the better.
0: Yeah, but I mean, <laughs> to be honest, the first thing I launched something, I did exactly that, and it worked mm-hmm. actually fairly well for me because I got good results. And mm-hmm. then I got smarter and, and, and I understood new things and I never did again because I was probably too scared. I was too, <laughs> I don't know, sophisticated yeah. and I never, because the first time I launched something, I just created a list of 50 people in my target market, created an offer, sent the email. I mm-hmm. said, if I have 10 by, uh, I don't know, in five days, I'm launching it. And then you all agree to, basically I did my own Kickstarter. And I just say, okay, I'm gonna be, I'm gonna um, charge you that amount only if ten of you says, tell me yes. And perfect validation, everything was perfect. It ended up not working, but for other reasons. Mm-hmm. And then for the next, but,
1: but did enough people say yes, yes that it, yes. you would have gone through? Yeah. No,
0: I, I went through. Then. Oh, yeah. Then the idea or market or something was not perfect. Actually, I'm going to rebound on that in a few minutes because it's interesting. But uh, then in the next few years, I was starting to be too specific, trying to create the perfect copy of the landing page, which is all <laughs> bullshit if you don't have people. It's just ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, yeah just you, to can, re- you can
1: play with that in your head for as long as you want, but... When somebody else reads it, you know, they don't live in your head. They don't think about the thing the way you think about it. So you could be dead wrong and have no idea. Exactly.
0: To rebound, the first project that I built when we met, basically, in Medellin, I did build, like, a local news slash community website. And my idea at the time was that uh, small towns and villages, they are really – local newspapers are dying – that's really mm-hmm. that's not the news I would say. <laughs> um, also, local government are really shitty at giving information about what people should know. It could be about new laws. It could be about what's happening. It could be all these kind of things. They have zero way to distribute this information.
1: Yeah.
0: And um, yeah, all, basically that. I mean, that, that was my thesis, and I think it's still right. It's still completely true. And mm-hmm. I built something there, but instead of trying to get a lot of people to subscribe to a newsletter to distribute this information, which mm-hmm. I would do today because it would make much more sense. I started on the site to try to get sponsors. So small companies to sponsor the whole project so that we get the, and I told them, if you do that, I'm gonna find people and these people um, you will be able to advertise for free uh, once a month. Something like that. I. Did mm-hmm. that. I Pitched fairly well, I think, <laughs> but I should actually have gotten the content and um, people in the newsletter first. Mm-hmm. And if I were to redo that today, I would do it like that because local newsletter, local content, I think is could be a pretty interesting market. Mm-hmm. And the other thing I did is I tried to pitch the local government if they would. Um, Accept just to invest some money in there, and I would distribute the official information for free once a mm-hmm. week or something. I would just always, it's all be automatically in there with the normal content. It would be okay, official, okay, from the blah, blah, name of the town, you are in there. And I think it's again valuable. Yeah. And they told, they, they said, Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if it's really how it should be. And now I just learned that because of COVID, all these kind of things that government, uh, first they do it now another company pitched the same government today for way more money than I asked for a few years ago and no problem because the government they know they need to go digital now no question about Mm it they also uh, paid for uh, a platform that would help local businesses distribute their products like uh, think about like platform for the municipality or the town that would help its, its local shops
1: Right, right. Yeah. And I
0: was part also of, sort of my project. I don't know if I would have been able to build it, but it was not the right time because yeah, I'm not gonna do that. And now they basically they spend tens and fifty of thousands of just to help them because that's COVID time, so it's perfect timing to do that actually.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's actually I find that product very interesting um from kind of a social perspective because with the interconnected nature of the world now, thanks to the internet you're starting to see a little bit of a breakdown in smaller local communities like people are connected to people on the other side of the world or you know on the other side of the country who maybe they feel more kinship with because they have similar ideas or values or whatever and you don't see people you know like in a large city that people live in a small neighborhood it's like there isn't the same kind of connected neighborhood feel that there used to be so i actually find that very interesting as a way for you know like for example you know there's the election going on in the states right now and and everybody's paying attention to the national election and all that but a lot of my friends here in denver are talking about specifically the the issues on the ballot for Colorado because there's a lot of interesting things on there and I think that in terms of the impact that one person has you actually have a lot more impact in your local community than you do in say the countrywide scale just because there's far more players at the larger scale but at the smaller scale you can you know have conversations with people around you and if you know affect how they think about things and spread the message and actually affect real change in that way so any product or or service or communication channel that lends itself to improving people's ability to disseminate information and learn about things that are happening in their local landscape, I think is potentially an interesting, valuable one.
0: Yeah, huh. well, I said, I'm sure it's a good market. It's still a good market. I need to find the right way to target it and to not do what I did, which was, Instead of you going got too many
1: things, man, you financial no, no. services products, no, no. you have local I, I, local I, I, government I, I, products.
0: I'm not going there again because I need you need to leave in the place though, because you probably need face uh-huh. to face interaction.
1: Um, not necessarily. I mean Yeah, but
0: could... to, to, to launch it. To launch it, to you need to probably to meet people face to face to with the I don't know the local SMB, the local government or something. Not to not to manage it, definitely not, but to launch it, I think you at least in where i did it i would have needed that
1: well, where were you doing it down in colombia
0: no no i no no i launched that first but then i saw that i was stuck if i didn't meet people face to face that's the reason i came uh-huh. back for i came back initially and then i met a lot of people and i got second wave of traction
1: well i think that if you you can launch it wherever you currently are with whatever local organizations there are and Use that as a way to prove it, you know, in a test case fashion. And then, if it sees success and is useful in that first test case, then you can broaden the scope and yeah, maybe you travel but, around and talk to people in person. But yeah,
0: but you need to speak the local language. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and here it's Swiss German, and I would not launch something in Swiss German.
1: <laughs> yeah, maybe not the best place to start. But, um, you know, if you prove the concept, there's always. Um, the potential to bring other people on to do yeah. some of those I other parts of it. Maybe. I'm, this,
0: I'm, I mean maybe I'm I'm still you, sure there's something to do there.
1: You could you could still you could incentivize people to do it, but I think that a lot of people who, you know, like there are people who are just more community oriented and community minded who want who would want that thing to exist in the place they live to sort of strengthen the community that's already there. So I could see people wanting to promote a service like that being adopted by their local region simply as a matter of wanting to strengthen their community and doing it as like a public service kind of thing. But, um, yeah, maybe not the, the thing to focus on right now. Too many other things. To focus no, no, on. but, uh, of, for the may, which, for
0: the many, for the many listeners that might be uh, an idea, <laughs> Jay. <laughs> but, yeah.
1: Um, yeah, but no, I, the, the one other thing that I think would be interesting to explore a little, I mean, we already have talked about it, a little bit, but is, is the HubSpot thing because again, I think that's a place where everybody's got their eye on the thing that they interact most with. So that's personal blogs, that's you know, e-commerce Shopify stores, that's all this stuff. But HubSpot is this big enterprise player that seems to be growing and gaining traction and not as many people interact with it, so they don't think of building things for it. But I'm I'm really interested to know more. I mean, I don't know if this is a good place to explore that, but you know, sure. go ahead. I, I don't really know much about HubSpot in general, to no. be honest. And Jay sent me the documentation; I got to explore. I don't really yeah. know what we're really stepping into.
0: I mean, what is interesting is it's nothing special. First, it's just a suite of uh, tools with, for example, a CMS, a CRM. Mm-hmm and some kind of um, ticketing slash knowledge base system. So it's mm-hmm. null-in-one. You can just buy one or all of them. That's one part. And I think they started as a CRM plus uh, newsletter slash marketing information software.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And that's probably strength. And they have a fairly robust CMS, but it's not, uh, you cannot, for example, don't have a drag and drop or uh, what you see is what you get, uh landing page builder. Yeah. And we've all been working with that for a few years now on the WordPress ex- ecosystem, for example. And mm-hmm. I guess on Shopify as well. I'm pretty sure. I don't know.
1: Yeah. So what... um what do you people who have HubSpot accounts, what do they get that is customer facing then? You said they don't have a drag and drop landing page. Is there a landing page builder of some kind or not at all? They do have, but it's Or does it like connect them?
0: You can them? drag and drop modules, mm-hmm. but the module is not fully customizable. It's more like a WordPress 10 years ago. Hmm. So usually you still have some, uh, you still have a uh, developer somewhere building things. I know how to tweak things. I know how to look in the code to change something, to add Mm -hmm. padding, margin, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. But it's just, okay, drag and drop modules, I can do that, but I cannot uh, basically move my headings around on this module.
1: Okay, and so- If if I go in the code. for For the use case that we're talking about, Is it possible that we can build something that allows users of the product that we create to bring in, say, a testimonials module? So they can maybe on our third party website, they can use a drag and drop tool or whatever they want to say, okay, I want this testimonial from this person and this testimony from this person. And that generates the module. And then the module gets brought into HubSpot where they can then drop that in.
0: I mean, I, I had two theories. I need to look at it. Either like that, and it's a module, or either it's just an, some kind of um, almost an iframe, and everything. It's and it's more like a SAS and we just plug it there, and we mm-hmm. just position it as a HubSpot testimonial management system. But it actually could work on everything,
1: because
0: mm-hmm. it depends. I don't know how flexible uh, HubSpot is for that. I just know there's a there's a way to position. An app in there? Is it a real HubSpot module, or is it actually just an external SaaS that is just positioned for HubSpot? I'm not sure.
1: Okay, that's interesting. Hmm.
0: Because I mean, same. Uh, I don't think HubSpot uh, natively has a good, I don't know, pop-up builder or uh, call-to-action builder or these all these kind of things that are fairly mm-hmm. obvious if you've been in uh, digital marketing in a while. And then I want, and I would like to have something a bit more customizable, and it's just terrible.
1: Yeah, it's funny. Um, you know, getting into to programming design, I'm realizing how easy a lot of these things are. Like, um, for example, exit pop-ups that trigger on what they call exit intent. All it does is there's something in like the CSS, or it triggers an action when basically. It recognizes that the uh, the cursor position of the mouse has gone above a certain point on the y-axis because the exit out things are always up on top. Mm. So if they go above the the zero y-axis on the frame of the web page, that's exit intent. So then the pop-up happens. It's very very simple. It's not remotely complicated. Yeah. Um, and so building something like that for HubSpot or another platform that doesn't yet have it. Again, it depends on what we have the capability to do because we can, you know, I don't know too much about the HubSpot platform itself yet, which I need to dive into. But um, yeah, I think that uh, a lot of these marketing like, you know, like your friend or the the guy in Zurich, you know, who just saw this idea that somebody else had and just built a SaaS product. That was that thing. Well, that's kind of what this is. It's like, here's a platform that doesn't have all these tools. All these tools exist on other platforms. We just need to bring them onto this platform and charge money for them. Yeah, and also
0: I would say as uh, like as the lead digital marketer, I like to be able to do things myself quickly. I don't want to go through an agency or through a developer for everything. So I know how yeah. to tweak things, so it's fine. But I'm sure I'm not the only one that would actually be able to, okay, let's build a new up let's, let's change the call to action widget mm-hmm. completely. Let's build this new landing page. Nice. And I, I'm sure there's many, many people in the same situation that want to move fast. And yeah, that's the reason I'm bullish on that. I'm not bullish exactly on how. I'm not bullish on exactly which features or app, mm-hmm. but it's something there on the enhancing the CMS capabilities of HubSpot.
1: Yeah, it kind of, I find it kind of surprising that they don't have a better, you know, um, like drag and drop or, or, you know, as you say, what you see is what they get. Um, they call it a WYSIWYG yeah, wig. Yeah. Um, it's, it is surprising that they don't have something like that. Though I wonder, again, I need to look into the, the documentation and see what is entirely possible because it's, it's possible that something like that could be built externally and that somebody could build it externally. Again, maybe, maybe your entire HubSpot page is just one big module. And we just have a separate WYSIWYG or drag and drop editor that people can build and then just import that one module in the HubSpot and then it's good. Um, and maybe we, you know, maybe the potential is you build something like that that's that good that everybody starts using it and then HubSpot's like, hey, uh, that's awesome. We're going to, we want to buy that off you. I'm sure,
0: sh- I'm, I mean, I'm sure they bought a few things. They bought already something called, uh, it's called PySync and it basically is a two-way think sync between a handful of uh, mobile app software and hubspot so basically mm-hmm. you contact uh sync with hubspot on your mobile phone yeah yeah which as a sales rep is extremely valuable my boss mm-hmm. has been spending don't you know 30 bucks a month on that for for two years no question
1: mm-hmm. yeah i mean it's it's interesting that a lot of there's so much potential for different SaaS products in a lot of these areas. For example, the company that um, I'm interviewing for on Monday, the small startup, uh, there, it's a company called DemoFlow, their product is essentially one that stitches together a lot of different products that are involved in the remote sales process. So if somebody is trying to do, you know, a remote sales pitch, they're doing it on zoom but they need to connect like their documents in microsoft office and they need to connect their google slides and links to web pages and all these things and they have a very simple drag and drop editor that allows you to say like okay you know i need these slides from this place and then this link to this web page and it's just all very simple and all it is is it's taking a process that is a little bit overcomplicated because you've got like eight plates spinning with all the different resources that you're gathering information from and brings it into one. And there's, you know, as, because, you know, historically it was like, you've got just these big Goliath products, but these big Goliath tech products can't do everything very well. It's usually they do one thing very well and then they build other small things to fulfill user needs, but they never build those other things well because they have other constraints. And then other companies Mm. come in or are created that do those smaller things better. And so tech is becoming you know, and this is the same thing with writing code. It's becoming like a Frankenstein's monster of stitching eight different things together into something that works. And so there's value in creating the smaller, obviously we need the big things. There's value in creating the smaller things, but there's also value in creating something that stitches the smaller things yeah. to the bigger things or stitches, a bunch of small things together. So there's a million different ways to to go after this. And a lot of people, you know, think that like, Oh, the time to make money on the internet was past the internet gold rush is past. It's like, like dude we're just getting started man i don't
0: know the time to sell uh how to become rich blogging is probably past
1: yeah the the time for low level wealth creation on the internet is past. but if you're if you're approaching this as a career and you're thinking about it in the long term and you're developing yourself to be able to capitalize on that there's still a lot of money to be made
0: for sure for sure yeah
1: i think that uh that might be a good place to wrap it yeah. up. I think we've been out here for about an hour. Yeah, it was good. So, yeah let's uh, after, after we turn it off, let's just hang on the line and, and go over a couple other things. but good chat, Benji yeah uh, good chat
0: and uh... any
1: any other parting advice to, to to pass off to our esteemed viewership that I'm sure we have? <laughs> uh, my
0: parting advice not really know. not really. Oh, actually keep... I had a good one. I
1: was um oh sorry, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. Um, this was because I started reading uh, meditations by Marcus Aurelius recently just to sort of help deal with all this stuff. And um, uh, the one quote that stuck out to me, this was from book two, verse three. It's just a small section of a larger statement that he said or has, but he says that the world is maintained by change. Hmm. And so, really, what it comes down to is change is the only constant. And a lot of people will get upset that, like, oh, you know i was doing this thing and then the world changed and now that's not a valuable thing anymore and i've got to completely reinvent myself it's like well you if that's all a matter of your frame of mind if you're aware that change is constantly happening and you position yourself to be constantly looking out for change and instead of seeing that as a scary thing like oh my old faithful business or job or revenue stream is going away you can say oh I can be ready and looking for changes because every change is an opportunity. It's yeah. all a matter of how you look at and how you frame the question. Yeah. Hmm. Like
0: that. Yeah. Like that.
1: Yeah, I'm cool. also back
0: into reading a stoic book. I just started um, the uh, Git to the Good Life by by? Will, by William B. Uh, Avin. I think he's just, uh, he's like uh, an academic who started. He was a philosophy teacher, never knew anything about the Stoics because Stoics should be boring. And at some point, he just digged into them, became his philosophy of life. And it's it's more like um, a summary of all the different Mm. um, Stoics and explaining Mm. also the place in history when they came, why they said Mm. that, because one is a slave, one is an emperor. So they, they have a way different background. And yeah, it's yeah. actually pretty easy to read and I really like it so far. So I think it's pretty good.
1: Yeah, I think that's interesting. The one really nice thing about this version of meditations is the, there's an intro that's like maybe 20 to 30% of the total length of the book. And the author is, is describing like the life of Marcus Aurelius and the cultural context at the time, which is really important to understand these ideas. Because he explains that um, back then, you know, people might look or in the modern world, people, or at least people who are religious think that like religion is the moral guidepost by which they live their lives. But back then, when a lot of these things were first established, religion was just this other thing, like philosophy was really the place where people would turn for moral advice about how to live life well and how to live a good, just life. And that's like two pieces that when you take one of those pieces away, the other one doesn't quite get the job done entirely on its own. Or at least that's what I think. I'm sure some religious people would take offense in that's that. That's
0: exactly sure. also how the introduction of this book went. So, exactly about that, about having a philosoph- philosophy of life. And that's something that's been forgotten over the years. So, yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. Cool. All right. It was a bit of a lengthy outro, but. <laughs> But uh, that's, that's it for this episode of The Sideway. Join us next week where we, we talk and ramble about more business and other things. Yes, all right. all right. Cool, all right, till okay. next time, folks. Okay, bye.